Welcome everybody to the third volume of CRA Energy Chats. I'm Laura Socha, Associate Principal in the Energy Practice at CRA, and I'm joined today by David Winter, who will introduce himself, but who has invaluable perspectives in terms of what's going on in the energy market at the moment, what's been happening in 2022, and we'll take uh, a bit of a, a macro view, a holistic view of the system um, in this podcast. So thank you so much for joining me on this podcast, Dave. Um, do you want to introduce yourself quickly? Hi, Laura. Yeah, it's great to be here today. Um, I guess what's relevant for, for, for our listeners and hello to all of you out there is um, my background. I'm an engineer uh, by discipline. I, I've also specialised in energy geopolitics as well academically in the past. Uh, in my career, I've worked across the energy value chain, so generation, wholesale and retail. I, I've run an energy supplier here in the UK. And I'm currently uh, Managing Director Europe of uh, Flux Federation, which is a, a global energy tech business. That's that's great. Thank you. Um, and I, I, as you say, it's, it's definitely going to be uh, important to have those perspectives. Um, and, and hopefully between sort of your engineering background and my economics background, we can offer some insights to, to our listeners. Um, so I guess just um, I might start with putting a bit of context to the conversation. Um, but, you know, the last podcast that I recorded um, on, on CRA Energy Chats was looking back at the 2021 and we were all sort of talking about how crazy a year it had been coming out, coming out of, so we thought of the, the COVID crisis um, and the effect that had on the energy sector. Um, and I think one thing that came out was that we thought 2021 had been a crazy year and I don't think we really knew what crazy meant um, at that that stage. Um, and and the, the reason why we already saw the crisis coming in 2021 was due to that demand shock to um, in the gas sector that we saw in 2021 sort of coming out of the COVID crisis. Um, and then 2022 arrived and um, sad events sort of came with that with the war in Ukraine, um, which has led to a very, very stark increase in, in gas prices. Um, you know, prices are about 200% higher in 2022 than they were in 2021. Um, and obviously that effect is feeding through right down to consumers. That war has created a supply shock. So we've seen in the, in the space of a year, we've seen a huge demand shock, a huge supply shock. And this is feeding right down. Um, and I think that's that's enough context from me, but I'd love to hear your thoughts um, on, on, on what that might mean um, for the energy sector or just general thoughts. Yeah, sure, Laura. I think there's, um, I think there's a few things there. And probably if we unpack those in, in turn, that would be a good, good start. Firstly, I think the, as you say, both the demand and, and supply side tightening, well, that, you know, as an economist, you don't need me to tell you that's only going to lead to one thing, which is increased prices, which is kind of what we've seen. Um, in, in terms of price as performing a role in, in how markets work, uh, we have seen a number of policy interventions across Europe. And if we look specifically here in the UK, we, we've got an energy, an energy price cap. Um, and, and that is really important because people and businesses would be struggling without that. However, 
at a macro level, that means there isn't the signal that price provides in abating consumption. So arguably that can make the supply challenge worse in that the price signals, albeit they are there to some extent, aren't there to the full extent that may be required to reduce gas demand um, from consumers and businesses if we have a particularly tight winter. I think, secondly, we have already been on this journey around gas and gas usage as a transition fuel. Um, it's fair to say most Western European countries have been focusing on decarbonisation as the primary driver for the last 10, 15 years plus in terms of policy making. And, and in most cases, decarbonisation is being driven through renewable generation, but, but primarily intermittent renewable generation. And as um, baseload plant is driven off the system by more efficient plants, so you've got thermal plant like coal and, and gas and older gas and, and some nuclear plant that's ageing, as those plants leave the system, um, the only solution as you've got more intermittent generation is to have really flexible plants and that flexibility is often provided by gas that can come on at a moment's notice to ensure supply and demand is balanced in, in electricity production. That's obviously on top of the general consumption that we have across Europe for households, businesses, industrial consumers too. Coming into this winter, I think as well, probably really, really important to note that um, gas consumption is really sensitive to temperature typically. So if we see, if everyone degree C below seasonal normal levels this winter, we'll see increased gas demand of three to 4% typically. Um, now with some public awareness messages and, and some other incentives that, that might be slightly less, but it's still a pronounced increase in consumption. Additionally, if we have a really cold winter, the physicality of wind generation and the, and the anticyclonic, I think it is, effect means that um, we won't have much generation during the coldest days. So we'll actually need even more gas, gas-fired electricity generation. That'll become a more important part of the mix, as well as increased gas for domestic households, businesses, etc. So I think that really sums up where the supply crunch could come from this winter and, and, and how that the system is reacting. And I I guess actually from um, a hierarchy of the trilemma, if, if, if we talked about the fact that we've been prioritising decarbonisation and then possibly affordability and then possibly security supply in that order over the last 15 years, we very rapidly changed to a different prioritisation order. And I, I think everyone will have their own view on that. But to me, it looks like security supply first, affordability second, and then third, decarbonisation. I, I can't disagree with any of the points that you've, you've, you've mentioned. And just sort of, I might sort of look at some of the points that you've made in, in, in part, maybe taking a slightly a, a different perspective but those price signals that you were talking about at the at the beginning with sort of regards to consumers because they're being sent a signal of you know we're protecting you against higher prices and even that protection is still leading to very high prices but the the signal to consumers is not to cut demand because they think that they're protected 
And then there's different price signals that actually are currently being sent in the market. Um, and that's just at the wholesale level. At that level, the market is working and sending a price signal. And that is that wholesale prices are very high because gas prices are very high because there is a supply shock to, <clears throat> to gas. So what does that tell you in a market is telling you that there is a case for investment in other technologies. So the current high gas prices that we're seeing in the wholesale market really is telling us one thing um, and is that the market is working well, right? There is scarce supply of gas, which we need, as you were saying, for baseload, and therefore the price is high. And that price is, is obtained by everybody producing electricity. So if you're a wind generation plant, you're paid for your electricity the same amount as a gas-fired plant. So you're getting a huge profit on top of that. What you can see in the news is called the inframarginal rent. Um, and that huge profit is, is, is supposed to be serving to um, generators to recoup their costs their total costs and not just those short-term costs, but also to send a price signal for investment that I just mentioned, except those signals that we're seeing right now are very short-term. So we're, we're seeing those high prices, but are they, are they here to stay? And investment decisions aren't made on a year outlook, right? You're looking at, at, at investing huge capital um, in, in into those assets that that really you're looking over the next twenty years to be able to recoup that investment and make a and make a healthy return on them. So I think this price that that price signal um, aspect that 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 you mentioned is is an interesting one because price signals are being sent in markets across the chain in sort of the downstream um, side of things and then upstream and we're currently seeing policymakers and regulators trying to um, bring in policies and solutions to protect players in, in, in both of those markets. We're seeing the price cap, as you mentioned, the added um, energy price guarantee, which is capping the cap. Um, and you're seeing across Europe a, a range of measures to, 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 to cap the wholesale price, really, so that you can see um, either a tax on extra profits. We've seen that in Europe and they're thinking about the, looking at how to implement that in the UK. But in the UK, they're also looking at completely redesigning the market. Um, and I know that that's a controversial point um, in, 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 for, for experts because redesigning the market is, uh, is, is one. In, in my perspective, as I said, the market is working well, is sending the signals that it's supposed to. Um, and coming up with solutions right now will, will be difficult. Um, and then finally, you mentioned the, the trilemma. Um, and I think I, I completely agree with you on, on the fact that um, the current tightening of the gas market has affected our prioritization um, and has definitely put energy security up front. Just to go back on the investment, um, there's huge investment from now to 2030 to 2050, that's going to be required for the energy transition. And I'd love to hear your thoughts um, on, on what you think that means, um, sort of if we move down the value chain now and sort of look more at the, the, the infrastructure that's needed, you mentioned intermittent generation, but 
So if you look around um, expert reports and things, you can see that there's a lot of mention of clean energy investment required for the transition. And I'd, I'd love to hear your thoughts on, on what that investment might need to be, if, if, if that's a, a question that you've looked at. Yeah, I completely agree. I think if we unpack the tech investment piece first, um, we've, we've talked about gas prices and how they're driving the market incentive um, to, to do different things and build different technologies. So that absolutely, absolutely is there. If you looked at it purely now, you would you would get the signal to build more renewables, which certainly is a, is a good thing for decarbonisation. And, and if that's, those renewables are wind, that is interesting for um, grid stability and and potentially therefore price when you consider the effect of intermittency. So that that's probably only half of half of the answer. I think um, what the investment piece is also signaling is not just what type of physical assets, generation assets, need to be built, mm -hmm. i.e., which fuels or or technologies are more attractive as a result of the gas price but what the physicality of those assets is. So how flexible are they? And actually what we're really seeing and what we will continue to see across most European markets is a real flexibility premium. So it's the ability to be able to provide, uh, to respond to those price signals quickly and to be able to provide those balancing services, not just nationally, but, but locally. And we're really starting to see flexibility markets emerge. Different technologies will benefit from that. And we've, to be quite frank, we've got problems if they don't, because we, we're, wind is a real success story, particularly here in the UK. But that isn't problem free in terms of the intermittency it creates on the grid. And we're pursuing a policy direction in most European countries of electrifying heat and electrifying transport. That is going to increase the electricity demand, just as, um, you know, we talked about with gas. And therefore... Um, flexibility becomes even more valuable and, and that is where the real investment premium should be and the real market premium should be. I think the second point I'd make on all of that as well is absolutely lots of market changes and reforms being discussed. I think private investors tend to like a market because they can model market risks and their risks that they can manage and they're set up to manage. Mm -hmm. If we change how the market works completely effectively and that might be the right thing to do by the way but let's not uh, forget the effect that potentially has on investors you've changed the whole rules of the game and then what's not to say that you might do the same thing in 10 years time if it's not working or, or five years time or the next political cycle so if you introduce a lot of political risk effectively because regulating risk in the energy market today is effectively political risk mm -hmm. you know if there's this, if there's blackouts then the government goes if energy prices are too high the government goes so they're they're effectively political risks if you keep using that cycle of uh political uh, intervention to change how the way the market works you'll probably actually deter investors because they'll think great i can sign up to this now but how long how long will this be the rules of the game before there are a completely different set of rules i, I couldn't agree more and that's definitely something that um at, at CRA energy we've seen a lot of um in what we've done in the past um in the past six months to a year it's not a new thing that 
that there is risk out there of changing regulation and changing policy, but we're at an unprecedented level right now. Um, I really like the point you made on flexibility. You know, the, the, as you were saying, markets work by creating a price. And I think the price of flexibility is really coming out right now because it is really what we need. Um, and, and there is significant infrastructure required for us to be able to, to, to cope with what's coming, increased electricity demand. We need to be less reliable on gas, but gas has been the transition fuel or has been chosen as that transition fuel. And mines are shifting, but shifting mines um, isn't going to be enough. There's a need for a whole system view of what's required and flexibility can help um, and I think there's an there's an element as well. I, I read an article not very long ago about, you know, the past 20 years has been characterized, if I might say, with so much policy intervention to push specific technologies and specific forms of investment for the energy transition that I think everybody is currently waiting to see what other incentives, what other help, sort of financial help is going to be given to, for, for those investments. So, so investors are sort of less choosing technologies themselves because they know that policy ends up choosing that preferred technology in the end. Um, and, and as we mentioned, this huge capital investments required. Um, so you, you, you can't take the risk of your technology not being the one chosen by policymakers. Moving down a bit again now, because that, I think we've touched on very interesting points with regard to sort of the more generation and then the infrastructure and the flexibility required at that sort of part of the chain. But if we look down at energy suppliers, and as you mentioned, you have you have you know hands-on experience in 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 what it's like to be an energy supplier in the UK, and um, I suppose the, the the world has changed a bit, um, but you know we've seen. I think it's over 30 suppliers have failed in the UK in the past year or since the start of 2021. Um, a lot of those were innovators. Um, and and I think a lot of what I've been seeing, and I'm really interesting to, to, to hear your thoughts on that, and I think your, your thoughts and your perspective from a, a, a Flux Federation perspective, is that a big strategic pillar for energy suppliers right now is operational efficiency. And this is to be driven by data. And I don't know that that's a new idea, right? It's it's not a new idea, but I think the push is 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 there. Um, and, and and obviously I know that this is a big focus for you at Flux Federation and, and the need for, for a, an agile energy supplier can be helpful for themselves in terms of cutting costs and enabling them to make more money out of their operations. But and also saving money for consumers in a in a world where suppliers have to adapt to regulatory constraints, financial scrutiny. You know, what, what do you see? What do you see the role of data being um, in achieving that? Yeah, thank you, Laura. I mean, I guess if we if we look at the retail market, and I'll probably reference a bit more the UK at this point, but I'm I'm quite close to what happens in the Australian retail markets and other European retail markets too. And, and quite frankly, we see we see the same things happening with slightly different extents the, the world over actually. So um, in the UK in particular, where, where we're heading, I think in the domestic, if we look at domestic supply, as you say, 30, 30 or so have failed, we're heading for a world of fewer suppliers, larger suppliers, 
um, possibly even less emphasis on switching, uh, which is kind of ironic given the policy direction over the last 20 or 30 years. And, and actually, I would sum it up by saying uh, whether it's made overt and public or not, the um, policymakers are effectively going to want a stable energy market that can collect the various taxes they need to collect and that can act as partners to policymakers in delivering uh, demand reduction and other new energy technologies to households and consumers. To do that, you need fewer, bigger partners, probably. You want big multinationals in there. You know, companies like Shell coming into the market will be really positive for, for that, given the, the balance sheets they've got, the, the technologies they, they're exposed to as well. In terms of your point on operational efficiency and and, and, and how, how you kind of manage manage um energy suppliers to to make them viable in the medium term i, I think there's there's two things there Ab absolutely the meat and drink is having an operationally efficient business and that means not just your technology but your processes have to be right mm. um and and their consumer focused views selling the right products serving them in an efficient way and getting things right first time and having the right technology that allows you and your folks that are working for you to see the right data and insights at the right time and make the right decisions and get things right first time takes a lot of regret cost out of a business. And actually that then creates, uh, that creates a relationship with customers that they trust you because you get the basics right and you can then talk to them about other products. Where I think actually everything we've talked about, you know, could, could seem quite doom laden, but actually from the retail suppliers perspective and this is particularly pronounced in Australia and I really see it happening in the UK too there's a lot of value out there on new propositions so we talked about flexibility and the value of flexibility we've we've had National Grid talking about how much they want to incentivize consumers to reduce energy demand here in the UK sort of 300 pounds a, a megawatt hour potentially so that's a really strong price signal and, and actually whether you're um, a, a business uh, energy supplier or you're a domestic energy supplier, if you're able to access that flexibility premium and that flexibility market, if you're able to offer your consumers or aggregate your consumers uh, demand reduction or, or even consumption in some cases to uh, into that market and offer that as a product to the system operators, there's a huge there's a huge value there. But to do that, you're going to need the right technology. You're going to need to be able to integrate with the right technologies. If your customers have electric cars, if your customers have batteries uh, with grid operators, and you're going to need systems that are event driven. So something happens and then something else happens mm -hmm. automatically. And, and from a flux perspective, that's where our focus is, is that's where we see the real value in energy growing as, as um, commodity supply becomes kind of a almost an increasingly regulated and, and reasonably benign activity compared to the value that's available in that new energy space especially around this this idea of the flexibility premium that that's really interesting you know i've we've, we've talked about this before but i i, I do find the, the the work that that you're doing with flex federation fascinating i think it will be a, a it can be a real game changer in the industry um so it's 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 really great um, to hear and I, all, all of that is I, I, I can't agree more um, I think one point you made on on the shift um, 
from the, the focus on switching is, is a huge one. Um, you know, there's no switching anymore because it's now costing everybody to switch really. Um, consumers and retailers um, are being charged or it costs them money now. Um, so, so switching is at an all-time all low. So it's definitely not a measure of healthy competition. Um, if healthy competition is a is a, is a word we can still use for the retail markets in the UK, um, the point that you made on um, on on other solutions and there's an interesting point to be made here because do do you think there's a risk that that this becomes highly regulated as well? Um, because of the, the the risk of you know retailers trying to make their money somewhere else because there's no money to make in the commodity side of their business and and then the regulator sort of turning around and saying you know just the same way they've done it with the commodity aspect of things to say well well we need to protect consumers against too high prices because consumers are expected to play a role but if you look at the I think some of the latest numbers I've seen is that. By January 2023, we're expecting more than three quarters of households in the UK to be to be in the fuel poverty, um, in in fuel poverty. So I, I, I'm sort of right now a big part of the thing that we're thinking about is is how you you sort of reconcile all of that, right? Who plays which role in in the current environment? Yeah, I think that's a really, really pertinent point. I think we've seen this in probably more uh, or less consequential policy areas where whoever has been the first mover, you know, has been able to influence policy in a direction that might not have been the best thing for consumers or the market. It was just conducive to where their business was and the fact that they'd really strongly influenced the regulator or or the or, or, or the government departments in this in this in this country. Um, and, and I think um, we need this is where your point about the whole system view is really important because we, we could go down a route, so let me be slightly provocative. We could go down a route where somewhere in somewhere like London, we all pat ourselves on the back and think doing lots around electric cars and lots around heat pumps mm. is is the the answer. And we need to do that now. But if we take, you know, and actually in terms of swapping, reducing gas and reducing um, carbon emissions, directly from um, petrochemicals, then great. But actually, if we step back, we take a whole system view. We've not yet got the generation structure where we can cope with increasing electricity. And we've particularly in London not got the network infrastructure where we can cope with all that different demand and that different shape. So in, in that consequence, we would in, in that situation, we would only really be in a position to really accelerate those technologies sustainably uh, and i use that word uh, uh, in, in its kind of true meaning <laughs> if we're able to offer those flexibility services and we have the right hard infrastructure be that networks or generation to allow that otherwise we're simply creating more more and more of a whole system issue uh, and we've mm -hmm. made the problem worse worse not better and, and that's i think some of the thinking that's kind of been missing end to end and I think to your point now though if, if I was still running an energy supplier 
this current time is actually a really exciting and interesting time because there is that opportunity to write those rules and to make that policy. There's the opportunity to get your business right while the market's in suspended anim animation to some extent, to get your technology right, to get the right expert advice in if you don't have it internally, to really make that investment now so that you're ready to pounce and you're ready to really access that value as the market develops and even even kind of play your part in, in shaping how that market looks in the future. I think you've actually wrapped this up perfectly. Um, you know, I, I, I think we've touched on so many different topics today. Um, and I, the, the last few points that you made are, are very much just wrapping everything that we just discussed. And I think you're right. I think I like the fact that we're ending this this podcast on a on a positive note and and saying that actually yes it is a difficult environment but there are many opportunities um to 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 make to turn those to to turn those into value across the chain and value for the energy transition um by by sort of shifting investment where we really need it because we we now know where we need it right we're seeing where we need it um so so I think that's that's great. I, I I really always like ending this podcast on a on a positive note. Um so thank you so much for, for joining me today. Um I really enjoyed the conversation and and um let's see what happens. Thank you, Laura. Pleasure to be here today and thank you to everyone for listening.